Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation as usual as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host of the show, and I am the daughter of a mom who lived with dementia for 30 years, and that is exactly why I started Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Um, If you liked our opening song, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dora, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. Our goal here is to raise all voices, big and small, from those diagnosed to those that care and serve, um, advocates, researchers, and so much more. Now, today is going to be a live show, so you can call in with any questions that you have regarding our topic today. Uh, That number is 323-870-4602. Again, that's 323-870-4602. 8704602 and of course i have to thank our listeners without you we wouldn't be here and we sure as heck wouldn't have as big of a brand footprint as we do so i hope you continue to like click and share the information that we disseminate here because it is truly about raising all voices and getting it to the people in need building that sense of community and collaboration and comfort so that we can win this battle against dementia. Now, today we're going to be talking um, on caregiving, the coronavirus, and careers, and how all that comes into play, and we're going to learn about Care Scout. But before I introduce our guest today, I always like to do a couple of shout-outs. So, first of all, it is National Caregivers Month, so woohoo to all of our caregivers, care partners, care companions, and carers all around the world. You're doing amazing. We have uh, some recent shows I'm just going to mention to you. Uh, Everything is archived. We've been doing this since 2011, so there's lots to listen to. We just had Roz uh, Jones on, and she was talking about caregiving and what do you need to get prepared for and about self-care. We talked with IBM about a week ago, and they were talking about speech patterns and artificial intelligence. And then we had the, uh, the producer and, and um, director of the new film called Determined, which followed three families around and really got their story over several years. And you're going to be hearing more about that. They're going out to the, the film festivals. And then upcoming on Thursday, we're going to be doing an open mic. So we invite anyone to join us. Um, Tell us what's going on in your world of dementia. Uh, What are you struggling with? What's working? Uh, What do you want other people to know? What do you think needs to change? And then the following week on Tuesday, we're going to have a group from Winona, Minnesota, who has a dementia-friendly group telling us what they are up and about doing. I always like to give a shout out to the um, Memory Cafe directory. And you just go to Memory Cafe directory. You can find any of the cafes in five different countries. I believe Dave's got like over 900 listed. You can also go to a tab on the directory called Cafe Connect, and that'll show you which ones have gone virtual. And again, they don't have to be in your backyard to to participate in. Now, I do two of them. One is through Artist Way, um, Artist Senior Living here in Minnesota. And our next one is coming up November 8th. And we do the third Wednesday of every month from 1 to 2 Central Time. And you can go ahead and call to register. That's 612-200-0506. That's 
888-888-0506, and we'll send you out that information. I also do another one with um, Arthur's Senior Living, and we get together twice a month on the second and fourth Wednesday, and uh, we get together at 1 o'clock, and just reach out to me for more information on that. I would be more than glad to to share that with you. Um, Coral Health is still giving away their free apps, Music First and uh, Coral Faith. So check them out, C-O-R-O-Health.com. That is just wonderful that they are allowing uh, allowing us to all take advantage of that during this difficult time with, with COVID. Uh, there is also the Wednesday Wave going on, and that started October 14th, and it runs through uh, December 16th, and you can go to vamoosetheater.co.uk for more information on that. And um, then just click on the Arts in Projects tab. Let's see, we have just a couple more to go. There's lots of fun stuff going on. Uh, Dementia Action Alliance has two new online programs. They say Zoom isn't for just meetings anymore, so they are putting on some programs for people who are living with dementia at home. And another one is for people living with dementia in assisted living. Go to daanow.org and uh, check out their online programs that you can register for. Let's see. Um, and then Healing Moments for Alzheimer's is offering a Zoom program November 12th from 7 to 8.15. The cost is $15.00. And the, the presentation is all designed to open up minds and hearts in new ways to um, provoke and challenge our thoughts on how to deal with dementia. Last, I am just going to wrap up with um, letting Footbar Walker tell us a little bit about themselves. Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The foot bar walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The foot bar walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's the thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the footbar walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the footbar walker. And I can uh, I can attribute and um, acknowledge how wonderful that walker is because I've had a family member use it and it really is a wonderful, wonderful tool the way they've designed it. So check them out. Um, I think you will be... Uh, greatly surprised at what you see. Let's roll into our conversation today. I can't wait to introduce you to our guest. And I'm going to tell you offhand that I'm not stuttering. This is just the way his name is. So um, I want to welcome Larry Neeson, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer for Genwith U.S. Life Insurance Segment which includes their Care Scout, which is a caregiver support service that I can't wait to hear about. It's an innovative program designed to provide expert guidance and personal support for um, employees that are struggling to find help for their loved one. So, Larry, I am so excited that you're able to join us. You've been on the calendar for a bit, and I'm looking forward to learning more. So, welcome. Thank you so much, Lori. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, 2011, that's amazing. I think um, not only is it incredible how long you've been doing your show, and I love the format, but I'm going to give you a shout-out on that. That's unbelievable information you're sharing for, uh, for nine going on ten years. Thank you for all the hard work you're doing. Oh, thanks. Well, it's it's all because of my mom. You know, like I said, it's been uh, 36 years now. She's been gone six and I just got so frustrated by not being able to find resources. I thought there's got to be more stuff out there. So 
you know, after about 20 years into it and things still weren't changing, I thought I'm going to switch careers, which I never thought I'd do. And I'm going to step into this space and I'm going to refuse to work in a broken system, which means I got to create something different. And one of the things that I thought was missing was multiple platforms of ways that people like to learn and listen and participate. And so that's really kind of how Alzheimer Speaks, um, the radio channel and the, the video interviews and stuff that we do along with the blog and resources. Uh, that's really how it all started was just a frustrated daughter thinking, we can do this different. I don't, I'm not quite sure how, but let's try. <laughs> well, so, uh, I, I can only imagine the countless caregivers uh, and loved ones that you and your programs have helped over the years. And again, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Um, before we get started on our line of question, I always like to ask our guests, just so our audience knows, and it doesn't make any difference what your answer is, but have you, Larry, personally been touched by any family members or friends um, by some form of dementia? I, I have, and and I can count myself as one of the millions and millions, unfortunately, who's been personally touched by it. Uh, my mother, my uh, mother's mother, my grandmother, uh, ultimately passed away at 93 from uh, Alzheimer's, and she had led an incredibly productive, amazing life as an immigrant who came through Ellis Island and built an unbelievably strong family. And for 80, her first 85 years was just this beacon of light and just an incredible woman and unfortunately um, spent her last seven years really in declining, just declining mental and physical health due to Alzheimer's and ultimately passed um, right at her 92nd birthday. Wow. Wow. Coming in and going out on the same day. That's, you don't hear that every day, you know? Yeah, you're Um, not kidding. It was a little bit before, but it was like right on it. So close. Yep. Yep. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That's always that's always helpful. I want to talk about, you know, why employee career crisis um, is so severe right now. And a lot of people probably haven't even, you know, heard that term because a lot of times we don't we don't think about it in that light. Um, but others others see it um, in us a lot of times before before we do. Um, when we're the ones in crisis. So why don't you talk a little bit about employee career crisis? Absolutely. I mean, let's start with just some baseline statistics that are, I mean, honestly, they're staggering numbers. When we start to look at family caregivers, right, unpaid loved ones who are in the workforce and who are balancing the caregiving responsibilities, that number Pre-COVID, so we're not even going to add the complexity of COVID into this. There are over 40 million unpaid family caregivers in the workforce today taking care of loved ones and balancing work responsibilities. Wow. That number, by the way, which is expected over the next decade to grow to million, is growing at a time when paid caregivers – are leaving the workforce. So not only are the number of loved ones who need care increasing exponentially, the number of people who are choosing as a vocation to come into caregiving, whether it's skilled or unskilled, that number is declining. And why is it declining? Because they can make many of those unskilled labor jobs, helping people get out of bed, helping them shower, doing the activities of daily living, those are in some ways minimum wage jobs. And if you were a caregiver who was doing this for a vocation and you could make the same money or even more working in a fast food restaurant, not putting your health at risk, which would you do? Right. Yeah. And so we have the number of people coming into the profession declining, the number of people needing care increasing and that extra pressure can only be handled by one valve and that valve is the family member who has to step in and provide even more care. And that's what's creating this crisis in America. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like you said, it just, keep, it's, it just keeps elevating. Um, and those numbers are, are, are getting higher and higher. You know, I used to go into the schools and do some teaching with the, with the kids. And, uh, you know, in those numbers, I don't think we're even capturing 
how many children um, are some of those unpaid caregivers as well. And, and so then if you've got a parent who's that um, kind of sandwich generation, you know, they're, they're caring for a loved one and then they're trying to still keep their, their family managed on top of it, you know, with all of it, it, it really gets tough, really gets tough. So Genworth, um, we do several studies and we have for the last um, going on 19 years, we've conducted two annual studies. One is called the cost of care. And it looks at what does it cost in every state for three levels of care, nursing home, assisted living, and home care. And mm-hmm. we, just, we, we do this really because we want people to understand whether you want to buy a long-term care insurance policy or you want to self-insure it is entirely up to the family. But we want them to know what those costs are, right? Mm-hmm. And the second one that we do is called Beyond Dollars, and Beyond Dollars looks at this caregivers in the workforce and how many there are. And I'm bringing it up because you hit on something that's both remarkable and so important, which is the number of under, let's call it, 40-year-old caregivers. We generally think of caregiving as um, people with gray hair, older Americans taking care of either their aging parents who are in their 80s or 70s, and perhaps they're taking care of a spouse. And we think of those people as the caregivers, and that's true. But 25% of them are under the age of 40. And so those 25%, again, it's a 40 million number. So 25% is 10 million people. Those people are balancing either they're a kid themselves, they're or perhaps they're just starting out in their employment life or mm-hmm. right they've got young families and now they are balancing everything they're balancing young families their work responsibilities trying to maintain and grow a life it is incredible pressure that's heaped on them with um really up mm-hmm. until this year what i would say is very little support from their employers yeah yeah um, I think that that's very true. And I, you know, I've said for years, employers need to understand, you know, what is happening, you know, in their workforce, because it's the subtle little things that can make huge difference in terms of production. Because when one person is feeling overwhelmed or distracted, dealing with crisis, whatever it might be in that whole caring role or come in exhausted. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on. It affects the, the whole team. And a lot of times the team will try to support, which is great that they're doing that, but it's pulling them away from their work as well. And so being able to have something in the workforce that really truly addresses this and isn't behind closed doors and trying to be hidden from the boss because nobody wants to lose their job. You know, everything is, is so tentative out there in the workforce. Um, it, it really, really is a, is a very important factor because those stress levels are so significantly high. And, you know, when, when the stress levels are high, you're going to end up having some additional health issues chances are, you know, I know for me, I had, I started having a little anxiety, which I never had a problem with. All of a sudden I had asthma, which I never had an issue with. And when I was done caring for both my parents, poof, they both went away, you know, and so little subtle things. And I was lucky they were, they were little subtle things. Other people end up with cancer and heart problems and, and all kinds of stuff. And so it, it really is a, a very important factor for us to be able to support, identify and support people through this because, uh, you know, we're all walking the walk. It's just a matter of when it's going to hit us and when there we're going to fall no, into that role. Yeah, there's no question about that. And you've, you've really, um, in a very succinct way, explained what the employer issue is, right? They, can, they don't have to try and help caregivers. They don't. I mean, if they wanted to, they could continue to do what they've done, which is to offer as many benefits as they think they need to, right, and attract and retain uh, their best employees with those benefits. But there's really other truths out there. For example, the average caregiver, right, the average caregiver Mm -hmm. spends well over $10,000 a year out of their own pocket on caregiving expenses for their loved one. And because... um, 
of their caregiving responsibilities, many caregivers don't take promotions that are offered to them. Many caregivers don't allow themselves to work if they're in a shift work. They don't allow themselves to take extra shifts, right, so because mm-hmm. they've got to go home and balance this responsibility. So here they're spending money out of their pocket. They're not making as much as they could. Add to it that when we look at what many would call the traditional family, right, where you've got two adults um, and children living together in a household, that peaked, that lifestyle peaked in 1947. And since 1947, the number of married couples has declined virtually every year. And right now, it's a little bit below 50%. And I only bring that up because of the idea that these caregivers, for the most part, don't have anybody to fall back on. If they're Mm -hmm. a single parent caregiver and they're balancing work and they've got all of these other responsibilities, how could they not have stress-related illness, right? How it, It would be impossible to just be immune to that. And when we talk to companies about both the problem and a potential solution, we often talk to the H the heads of HR and the, the chief financial officers about the cost of employee illness due to care, mm-hmm. specifically due to caregiving. We've, uh, we've done some work in, our, in the studies that I referenced earlier where we've calculated just the increased health care cost for the U.S. economy due mm-hmm. to caregiving is over, is over $13 billion, Lori. And wow. that's from exactly what you touched on, stress-related illness, right, mental health issues, because caregivers, we know they take really lousy care of themselves because they have no time. And yep. so we, when we talk to companies these days, we talk to them about their own dollars and cents. We, they want to be empathetic to employees. We get right down to the bottom line. Here's what it mm-hmm. costs you as an employer to not take better care of your caregiving employees. And their companies are starting to listen. I'm really excited about that. Oh, well, the turnover, that revolving door and that onboarding cost and attracting them. And, you know, I mean, it's it's ridiculous what companies are spending on that because they're not making smaller shifts in accommodating those employees. Now, now they got to get a whole new one and they got to start it's, from scratch and they got to rebuild their teams. And, um, you know, that's wearing not just on, you know, the person who has to hire and fill, but the whole team, the whole you know, the whole system as a whole, because, you know, when you're, when you're missing an employee, now someone else has to pick up that burden and, you know, it's a ripple effect. So, you know, by not supporting them, they can lose more than just one employee easily. There's, there's no question. And there's also, there's lots of research um, that looks at the quality of caregiving employees that even though, Um, they may have these divided responsibilities that they're generally high-producing, high-impact employees that are very dedicated. They don't change jobs frequently unless they have to. And I say unless they have to because Mm -hmm. the statistics around the number of caregiving employees that leave the workforce is staggering. Over 50% of them, remember I said there's 40 million, over 50% of them, report that they've had to either leave work early or come in late or miss unexpectedly miss work. So you've got increased absenteeism. You Mm -hmm. have um, over 60% of the caregivers say that while they've been at work, they've had to do care related things like talk to doctors or the pharmacy or arrange for care. So they're there, but they're not really there, right? We could, they call that zombieism. And then And then the worst statistic, which you were, again, spot on when you talk about having to go recruit and hire new people, is that a third of the caregivers that we spoke to, a third of them said that ultimately they had to leave their job. They had to quit their job to go take care of their caregiving responsibilities because, as you and I both know, in the battle over which job is more important, the job you're professionally doing or the job of being a caregiver, there is no choice. You're not mm-hmm. going to let your loved ones suffer. And so many people, a third of the ones that we spoke to ultimately left the workforce because of their caregiving responsibility. So it does impact employers. Um, it impacts them in a variety of ways. And 
uh, as I said, they're really starting to take notice and look for solutions out there these days. Yeah, well, even anything from, you know, being able to work from home or doing a job share. Um, and I know with the coronavirus, a lot of employers are going, well, you know, we're actually seeing from some employees more production with them, you know, being at home. Their costs are reduced. They have to be paying for, you know, giving people parking incentives. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's just so many things. And people have more time in their day because they're not traveling. And, uh, you know, and then there's the risk of, you know, if that person does leave or if that person stays and pushes somebody else out because they're picking up the slack and getting tired of it, um, that you could easily hire another person who's in that role. And you're going to start it all over again because caring can happen to any of us at any time. It's not something that we typically plan on doing. It just happens in life. you, You are so spot on. Nobody expects to get that phone call um, that says, I know your life was sailing along, but it's about to take a dramatic turn and there's nothing you could do about it. Nobody plans for that. Nobody thinks about that. But it does indeed um, come and impact us all at some point in some way. There's, um, you know, you mentioned COVID and, and Genworth sponsored a a consumer sentiment study in May of this year. So COVID really hit right in March. So we let March and April go by. And then in early May, we went and did another consumer sentiment survey around how people were feeling, what were the Mm -hmm. impacts to them, what was going on. And here's what we found out, that it wasn't 40 million people who felt like they were caregivers now. There were over 100 million people. So one out of every three people in the United States was doing some sort of caregiving. So whether it was the young kids who got sent home from school, so now you're a teacher, or it was um, many, many people. So I live in New Jersey, and, you know, we were the first wave, us in New York were really the first wave of coronavirus uh, deaths. And 40% of the deaths in New Jersey occurred in long-term care facilities. So many people whose loved ones had still had been in facilities but were still healthy immediately pulled their loved ones out of facilities and moved them into their home. So whether mm-hmm. you were now had your maybe parents or your aunt living with you or you had your young kids, either way, one out of every three people identified as a caregiver. So to your point, there's no escaping it, right? Mm-hmm. There's no version that says you can not worry about somebody being a caregiver and they leave the workforce, you could just replace them. It's virtually impossible at this point to find somebody who is not touched in some way, shape or form by caregiving of somebody. Yeah. Oh, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, and, and everything changed, uh, you know, I'll never forget. I was actually out in New Jersey um, speaking and I uh, was flying home. I think it was on the the 11th or the 12th, everything was a blur, but I, I know, you know, all of my business just canceled every call I got. <laughs> Are you home yet? And uh, we're canceling, <laughs> you know, and, and know. It, 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 everything, everything changed um, from that moment on. And it's hard to believe we're this many months into it and the multiple levels of, you know, even if you live alone, you you still worry about family members. You still worry about friends you still worry about neighbors and you try to help out how you can. Um, you know, it's uh, in some ways, I think the virus has brought us back to almost a reckoning of who are we at our core and who do we want to be, you know, and in giving us that humanness back, because I think, you know, it kind of, it kind of, you know, walked out of the building for a while there and everyone was so busy I, being busy and it's forced I, us I to think, appreciate I think- I think you're absolutely right. And it, and it has also brought sort of some other things to bear. And you, um, you touched on this a little bit earlier when we started talking about COVID, that people are working longer hours. On average, they're working about nine or 10 hours a week more um, while they're at home than they were when they were going into the office. And so that's got some really important sort of underlying issues to it, right? Yes, people aren't commuting. So you could look at it and say, well, they would have commuted for 45 minutes a day and they're not commuting. So therefore, you know, they're probably saving the time. That's true. 
except the, the, the one cohort, the group that doesn't get to enjoy that idea of not commuting are the caregivers because what happens is for many caregivers, that commuting time gave them a little bit of a break in the car or however they got to work to just regroup themselves. Now That's what's true. happening is they're on, right now they're on caregiving duty from the moment they wake up until the moment they go to sleep, except their peers in many ways are, are working more. They're, they're more productive, which is putting in, a, in sort of a weird way, it's putting more pressure on the caregiver mm-hmm. because they feel like they need to be more productive to keep up. So where does it give, right? What, where, where does it sort of manifest itself? Well, we know that about 50% of those that we surveyed said they were more stressed Mm -hmm. And they were more stressed because they realized their own vulnerability. They were starting to feel less well. Their loved ones were starting to notice that they were less well. And they were starting to sort of contemplate more of their own, you know, just the things that they were vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. that's a lot of pressure for people, Lori, to just bear on their shoulders in particular when they see no light at the end of the tunnel. And it's really a, a very scary thing for, for caregivers that are feeling this extra pressure. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I think that people have to keep in mind too is when you're caring for somebody, a lot of times we think we're hiding the pressure that we're feeling or angst or, you know, frustration. And, you know, we can put on our Stepford wife smile and enter a room but the rest of our bodies go in bonkers and give it up all kinds of nonverbals. And then who we're caring for or who is just in our midst is all absorbing that and sensing that. And then that angst kind of spreads and it just, you know, it, it kind of raises um, everybody um, in terms of feeling uncomfortable. And, and I think that that's a really important thing that isn't always addressed either. Because just because we hide it or we don't talk about it doesn't mean that it's not happening and doesn't mean that it's not affecting not just that person but others around them as well. And I think that's a real critical piece in terms of bringing out to the dining room table or, you know, or, you know, over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, you know, having these real conversations and people not being embarrassed or feeling less than because they're struggling. You know, the only way we're going to fix a problem is if we talk about it. If we don't address the true needs, it's never going to change. And so these conversations are critical. And I'm just, you know, I'm thrilled with the studies you guys are doing and getting this information out um, to people is, is really, really important. What are some of the practical tips and techniques, you know, for caregivers to kind of help them navigate through, you know, still, you know, sustaining their careers and trying to maintain a healthy work-life balance, which really, you know, very few people, in my opinion, have. Um, But it's even more important for caregivers to do that because if something happens to them, you know, things just escalate even more and then that role gets passed on to somebody else. You're you're exactly right. So here are here are some of the things that we advocate for. And, and by the way, we talked to employers. Um, last week alone, my team met with 50 companies um, individually, even during this crazy COVID crisis. Uh, we, we had 50 appointments with companies who sought us out to talk about what, what to do to take better care of their employees that are caregivers and how to sort of get around and help during this crisis. So I bring that up because there is a, a huge misnomer, a huge sort of um, hidden burden of caregiving that most caregivers, most employee caregivers don't let their companies know that they are caregivers, right? Mm-hmm. And, they, and, they're, and they're afraid because, again, this is from our research, they're afraid for two reasons. Number one is they don't want the company to think that they're not um, dedicated employees, right? They don't want the company to say, well, you know, I'm going to let Larry go because he doesn't really care. He's got more important things. You know, he's taking care of somebody. And so employees hide from their employers that they're caregivers. 
And that's a terrible mistake because employers then say to us, I would love to provide services for my employees, but I don't have any employee caregivers. Nobody ever asked me about benefits <laughs> like this, right? Because so, so they're to scared to tell you. <laughs> yes. yes. And I'm like, of course they don't tell you. Do you know why they don't tell you, Mr. Employer? Because you don't have a reason for them to tell you. There's, yeah. again, one of the other statistics that jumped out at our study is about 50% of the employees that are in the workforce that are caregivers have identified themselves as caregivers to their immediate supervisor, right? So they've said, let's say I, you're my immediate supervisor, and I've said to you, Lori, you know, I just want you to know that I'm a caregiver for my father. Mm-hmm. And if I tell you that and you say to me, okay, but you don't offer me a solution, right? Or you don't say to me, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm one too. If you don't make me feel as if there's a reason to tell you, why would I tell you? What's, what's the point of that? And so most employees don't share that, and most employers don't ask. And so when you ask me for tips, the first thing that I say to people is, don't be afraid to put your hand up. First of all, this isn't 1950 where employees are at the mercy of their employer in almost every state. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not giving legal advice, but I would say that in, I, can't, I haven't heard of any example where a caregiver has identified themselves and been fired from their job. That doesn't happen anymore. There are government protections. We have the FLMA account, uh, uh, laws on the books. People are now allowed to be caregivers and work. It's okay. You can do that, but you've got to tell your employer. You mm-hmm. have to put your hand up and say, I want you to know, here's some of my other responsibilities. Now, because of COVID, the great news is employers are more empathetic than they've ever been. Because they know, mm-hmm. as we said, we, they know that people are balancing and juggling and doing all of these crazy things. So put your hand up if you're an employer, an employee, and say, I need help. The second thing that I tell people, which is sort of intuitive, but it's interesting how often it doesn't happen, is when you put your hand up and say, I need help, be prepared to tell your boss or your HR department what exactly you need in the way of help. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're going to tell them, say, I'd like to do this. Maybe it's work. You mentioned this earlier. Maybe it's work a split shift. Maybe it's do a job share. Maybe you want to work different hours, right? Because you've got caregiving responsibility from 11 in the morning until one in the afternoon. And you want to sort of work around that schedule. Tell your employer what it is that you're looking for, how they can help and what's in it for them. Do mm-hmm. it as if you're as if you're building a business case for it. Yeah. And and I will tell you that in my experience, both as a caregiver and as a an executive at several insurance companies over the years, I've never heard of a bad outcome that came from doing what I just described. It is um it's first of all it's cathartic, it's empowering for the caregiver to finally be able to say, This is the other part of my life. This is also really important to me. And I've never had an employer say to any employee that I'm aware of, oh, that's not going to work for us. There's almost always an accommodation, but you've got to ask for it. Well, and I think, you know, you brought up some good points because I think employees are afraid to tell their story because are they going to use it against me? And even though there are protections in there, there's still those horror stories out there of um, of issues, you know, where the the family leave of absence isn't always, you know, what they think it's going to be, and they just don't have the the time, the energy, or the money to fight the company on that. I mean, those things still do do happen out there. I, I loved when you said, you know, build a case, and and I go back to when I was in my early twenties and I worked for a health a healthcare company. And I was a, a supervisor, and it, literally every six months I would go into my boss and say, I'm a clog in the wheel, this isn't working, and I'm, I need to leave. And it's a little bit different than our situation here, but it's still the same thing, you know, where, where the job isn't fitting the person. 
And my boss would look at me and, and go, well, what do you mean? And I said, you know, they're, they have, they understand what the responsibilities are. They're carrying it out beautifully. I don't need to be involved in this anymore. I, I, you know, right now, me looking over them, supervising them on this is, is really putting a downer on their ability to take full responsibility and be proud of what they're doing. So I'm just a clog of the wheel. And so every six months I'd go into my boss and I would say, you know, I need to leave. And finally she taught me, she said, Lori, just come in here and tell me what else you see. How, how can things be done better? What are the needs? And so every six months my job would change. And it worked out beautifully for both of us because there was a, a need identified, it was addressed, and, and there was always great outcomes from that. And, and it, you know, for me, learning that at such a young age was just really a, a, a huge blessing, you know, for me. But I think most people don't look at it that way. They're looking at it like, oh, the boss is going to be mad at me. They're going to be upset. But, you know, bosses don't know what bosses don't know. And, you know, the line staff sees things at a whole different level. And yet it's a reflection on their boss and the outcomes. And if you can improve those lines and, you know, maybe profit margins, whatever it might be, or processes, that's a gift to your boss in terms of doing that. So how do you get the job done? How can things be restructured? You know, it's, it's about coming in with ideas. Don't just come in to bitch and complain and, and make this all about you because we're a team. So how, how do we get through this as a team? And I think sometimes people don't take it that extra step. They just think, well, they've got to figure it out. And it's like, no, you're, you know, you're, you're the main wheel in here. You know your job better than anybody. So how can it best get done? You know, what are some ideas? Uh, absolutely. And not only that, you know, look, we, we, we know as caregivers that every caregiver's story and responsibilities and balance are unique. Even for those that are taking care of patients and loved ones with similar illnesses, the experience is still different in every way, right? They're at different stages mm-hmm. of an illness or a disease. They're at different capabilities. Your personal work story is different than my personal work story. Nobody knows other than me what would work best for my job if mm-hmm. I were to craft it in a way that worked better for me. So why wouldn't I want to go into my employer and tell them exactly what I want from them in order to be able to do it? Now, they may say, well, Larry, that's not possible to do this, but we could do that. But at least if I go in with uh, um, having painted a picture of here's what would work best, here's why it's good for you and good for me, and oh, by the way, at the end of the day, I'm still going to get the work done. It's just going to, it's just going to come through a little bit differently. Yep. If the employer says no, they will offer you most likely a fallback, right? That maybe is a little bit different. But now you're having a dialogue. Now you're having a conversation as opposed to if you say and wait for the employer to tell you what accommodation they can make, what if the accommodation doesn't work? What if yeah. the accommodation doesn't fit your schedule? Now you're having to go back and you look, you know, potentially you look ungrateful. Potentially mm-hmm. you look like you're being too rigid. Oh, you know, you asked me for an accommodation, but now it's not good enough for you. No, let's take all of that nonsense out of the picture and tell them exactly what it is that we need in order to be more successful and to continue working as a productive employee. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that is very overlooked and, and understated um, by both the caregiver and the and the workforce as a total is the emotional support. You know, when we have emotional support in terms of what we're doing, you know, it it makes a huge difference. And because you know, no one can fix, you know, what's broken in in our lives. It, that's up to us. But sometimes you just need someone to listen someone to say, I understand, someone that says, I respect what you're going through and, and we'll be here to support you. It's not that they are going to fix or make something go away, um, you know, or that they can cure your loved one. It's not about that, but it's about letting people honestly talk. 
because sometimes I think those emotions, you know, we stuff them and, and that can make us sick too. You know, that can cause added stress that can make things come out sideways in terms of attitude and all of those types of things. So I think getting to authentic conversations in, in feelings. And I know a lot of times people say, well, you know, you got to, you know, keep, keep your home life at home and keep your work at work. And it's like, you know what, that's a very, very difficult thing to do, especially when you're stressed, when you're, when you're at your wit's end. It totally, it totally is. It's interesting that you would, would sort of bring up the idea of having somebody to listen because you're a hundred percent right. And I have to tell you, that's been our experience when we talk about the care scout employer service that we, that we provide, Um, When we talk to HR folks, what they generally say to us is, well, you know, we have an EAP at work, right, an employee assistance program, Mm -hmm. and that's really a very general caregiving and really sort of fills a lot of buckets of benefits. I said, that's true, and, and that's certainly better than nothing, but have you ever spoke to caregivers about how they use your EAP? Or if they do, and yeah, or if, yeah. Um, th- and what I get back from time to time is no, but we're going to survey them, and it's really interesting, Lori, that I've gotten over the last thirty days, I've gotten a few calls from people who I asked that question to, who came back to me and said, "Hey, you know, Larry, we did what you had suggested, which was to survey our employees, and you know, it's interesting, caregivers." aren't using the EAP yeah. and they're not. And I said, I know that they're not using the EAP. They're not don't using the EAP. <laughs> they, they, they don't want, they could use Google if that's what they wanted. What they yeah. need, what they need are ways to save time and get to the right answer, right? Emergent caregivers. And you know, if you think back to the first time you had to make a decision for your mom, and I think about the decisions, I'm a caregiver also for my father who, um, is 85 and he's still cantankerous and he's mentally really there and he and my mom are getting older and my brother and I provide caregiving for them. Um, not daily, but we certainly provide lots of help and direction for them. And mm-hmm. when we had to make decisions for my father had gone through a scare, I'm in the business. This is what I do for a living. And when it came time for me to weigh in on decisions, Lori, I was as lost as the average person because oh, yeah. when it's your um, when it's your <laughs> loved one, it's you. All you want to do is not make a mistake, right? So, yeah. people people want to know that they have a phone a friend who is an expert who will listen to them and who will save them time and get to the right answer. And I say, and so I say to these people and the HR folks that called me, I've never seen an EAP that does what I've just described. And if, mm-hmm. if you've got one, that's fantastic. And it's not a knock on EAPs at all. They're fantastic. But they're not the, the solve for every situation. And caregiving requires unique, customized solutions, which can generally not be done in a cookie-cutter approach to a benefit through uh, an EAP. And so we, we often hear from the folks that we provide our service for this unbelievable sigh of relief when they call us and they get a licensed social worker or a clinician on the phone who all we do is elder care. That's all we do is adult care. And they speak to them and you can literally, I've audited some of the calls to hear them. You can hear the stress melt away from a caregiver as they're talking to our social worker or the nurse or whomever they're speaking with, whatever expert it is who completely listens, empathizes, and solves their dilemma. It's really so incredibly powerful. Uh, and uh, at this time, it's really a vital service. Well, and when you, you know, when you mentioned, you know, with the employee assistance program, you know, they are, they, they're like a live person, Google, you know, and it's like, oh, here, 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 boom, you know, print it out, email it to you. Yep. Boom, that's it. They're not really necessarily familiar with all of those services as well as what a person would like them to be. But when you've got a social worker or a nurse or or maybe, you know, it's even another caregiver who's been in the role, who's really a mentor, you know, you had mentioned the empathy, the compassion. 
And usually they, they tie a story in there so that the person knows, oh, my gosh, I'm not the only one going through this. Because everybody thinks they're the only one going through this because, <laughs> because we don't so have true. these conversations. And to be able to, again, they might not have the answer and say, this is, you know, this is our society and we don't have that answer. But this is how people are helping. This is, you know, and, and just building their confidence that, you know, you, you've made the best decisions for the knowledge you had in the moment you were in. And that's constantly going to change. And that's all we can ask of ourselves is to make the best decisions with the knowledge we have. But if we can get some of that knowledge before a crisis hits, you know, that really helps. Or if we can get into a support group that, um, and I hate even using the term support group, because I think nowadays we're turning into more social gatherings where people don't feel Oh, it's a support group. I need a sub. Now I need a support group. You know, they, right. they kind of yes. slam themselves for that. But there's a lot of groups, even on social media, that people can be referred to that can lift, that understand, that are full of ideas. They understand there isn't one answer because everybody's family is different. Every personality is different. Every situation is different. What works one moment might not might work on, in another moment you know, or for another person and that it's about trying new things and it's about kicking failure to the side and really just trying to do the best you can. And that's all you can do. But, you know, when you have that kind of counselor edge, um, you know, in terms of lifting spirits and re-energizing people, um, I think, you know, that whole re-energizing is so key because most people who care are, are exhausted at one time or another or for an extended period and they just need to be filled. And I know I went through that personally myself where I, you know, I, I was too busy. I didn't see my friends. I didn't do different things. And then, you know, one day I, I got together with my friends for coffee and I was really kind of snotty when they called. I was really, I was going to show up just to have them leave me alone because it was one more call I didn't need to take in my mind I mean, that's where I was at. I was just Absolutely. so exhausted. And I ended up meeting with my friends for two hours. And we laughed and we cried together. And it wasn't until that moment I realized how exhausted I was and how much I needed to be filled. And that can be done through friends, but that can be done through support like your care scout as well. You know, when you feel supported, you get energized. And sometimes what we need is energy to just get through the day, you know, and to be able it to is. put a smile on our face and not you're, feel you're alone. So spotty. You're, you're so spot on on that, Lori. And some, it's, it's funny when, when, so when somebody calls us, right, they're immediately, they get connected to a, a clinician, whether it's a licensed social worker or a registered nurse, and we do an intake form and we speak to them about, you know, what's, what's going on with your loved one. This is what we do. And so we, after we do the intake form, that really um, what we were sort of tasked with going to work to solve the problem. And you think that all of these problems are solvable, but what's really super interesting and it gets right at the heart of what you're saying, a lot of times the calls that we get are just to be sort of an ear. Like, yeah. is this, am I making the right decision, right? Is this is what the situation is? This is what I'm thinking of. Is that, am I, am I on the right page? Is that the way to do it? And they just want to be reassured in some ways. And they want to talk to somebody who gets it, who yeah. doesn't say to them some sort of pat, oh, I'm sure you'll figure it out, or some sort of unemotional answer. They want somebody who can really buy into and make them feel better. And it's, we love, we love what we do. We are passionate about the way we provide care advocacy and work with caregivers and their loved ones. And much of what we do is exactly what you said. We are there as an emotional support, the phone a friend who gets it, who can help reassure them and who can bring in a team of experts when we don't know an answer. Mm -hmm. which there's lots of things we don't know. Even when we've been doing this for 20 years, even when we don't have an answer, we have a network of over 100,000 providers that mm -hmm. are 
in every aspect of the caregiving world, whether it's on the financial side, the legal side, the emotional side. The only thing we don't do is really give second medical opinions. That's not for us to be in the middle of. But a lot of times the calls are just as simple as, please tell me I'm doing the right thing. And if I'm not, steer me in the right direction so that I can make a good decision for my loved one. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so funny because I think those key elements that you just mentioned so often are overlooked because everyone thinks they have to have the answer. And sometimes, I mean, one of the things when I'm out speaking, I'll tell people how, how many times do you just need to be heard you don't need to be fixed. You just need to know someone's listening to you. And if that's, if that's venting, you know, um, or, or whatever, but they're not going to judge you. They're just going to hear you for where you are in that moment and not run away and not bad, bad mouth you to somebody else, but just be that compassionate, empathetic person who, who gets the frustration and knows all emotions are normal, and we just have to process them. We just have to so, process them. It, you're, you're, again, so spot on. I'm going to tell you a very funny yet somewhat embarrassing story, which is um, we, when we were creating this service, and there are other companies. We're not the only company that does care advocacy work. Um, we started 20 years ago as care advocates, and we built this into a commercial company, but we started as care sort of coordinators. This is where the the heart of what we do. We're clinicians, the company, chock full of clinicians, and this is how we do it. Other companies that have gotten into the space really have much better technology. You know, they have lots of uh, uh, apps on their phone and ways to really communicate that are much more technically technically advanced than ours is. And I was... um, I was having a little of what I would describe as technology envy, okay? Mm-hmm. And I was saying to one of the folks who work for me, we need, to, we need an app. We need a way for caregivers to be able to speak, to use, the, to use their phone, to text, and to get all of this information. And I'm like, we have to figure that out. And I was tasking this person with doing this. I said, you figure it out. Come back to me with a proposal. And um, I forgot one really important step in this. Lori, which was to validate that anybody besides me really cared about having that app. <laughs> the truth yep. is what you said is so spot on that when we talk to caregivers, when we talked to, we do 50, we have 50,000 at any given time, we have about 50,000 care plans out in the marketplace where our clinicians are talking to caregivers and creating these customized plans. So, we did, a, we did a poll. We said, hey, go, when you're talking to these people, ask them how important this is. What came back, which is exactly what you said, is they wanted to talk. They don't want it. They, they would be okay with texting, but the act of picking up a phone and having a conversation and talking to somebody was mm-hmm. more important to them. And I, and I was like, yeah, well, I guess I don't really know as much as I thought I knew. I thought I was a super smart guy. Here I almost sent us down a rabbit hole that was unnecessary and would have diluted the service because people really love to be able to tell their story, to have a conversation like you and I are having now, and to really sort of just connect with people, right? Mm-hmm. To not do it via text, but to hear somebody's voice. Empathy doesn't come through in a text. It only comes through in voice and, and, con- and contact that way. So, Exactly. I can't believe we've got like less than a minute left. This hour has just flown, Larry. It's been a wonderful conversation. So uh, for our listeners who are out, out there working, should they just impro- approach their employee and ask them, do they have Care Scout? And if they don't, maybe they want to check into it. Um, they it should. Like a so wonderful it, service. It's awesome, and it really. I'm not saying it because I lead the company. I'm saying it because the the service we provide is tremendous. If they go to Care Scout, C A R E S C O U T dot com, they'll they'll see on that that there's an employer benefit page. If they go to that, they can find out some information. They can email me um, directly at at Larry dot 
Nisenson, N-I-S-E-N-S-O-N, at genworth.com, and I'd be happy to send them some information, or they can just go to genworth, G-E-N-W-O-R-T-H.com, and get information there. And um, I know that we don't, don't have very much time, but thank you to the caregivers out there for doing what they do. Um, it thank is you, Larry. so appreciative and needed. Thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate your time today. Bye, everyone. Well, hi, I'm Lori LeBay. And, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.